Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. 1 John chapter 4, a statement is made that is something that, if we're honest, everybody in the world that's ever heard anything said or said anything about God at one point or another has heard this or said it. And it's in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and verse 8. The Bible says this in verse number 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. That verse tells us that love comes from God. I mean, when it's what it says, love is of God. That means that love, not the semblance of love. Now, there's a lot of things that want to take on the semblance of love, and they want to act like they're love, but they're actually lust or lasciviousness or what have you. But true love comes only from God. And everyone that is born of God and knoweth God Uh, It tells us that everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And that tells us this, that if you've been saved, you have the capacity for love that is beyond human capability. You have a capacity for love that is beyond human capability. The ability to love your neighbor as yourself is not something that exists naturally inside of a human man or a human woman. It only exists by and through the presence of God inside of those that are born of God. That's speaking of what the Lord said to Nicodemus there in the book of John when he said, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. That's saying that if you've not been saved, you do not have the ability to love the way that God loves. You don't have inside of you the sort of love that can overcome any obstacle unless you've been saved. Because that love only comes from God. Verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse 8 tells us not only does love come from God, but that God is love. Literally, that it is such an integral part of His being that if you don't have God, you don't have true love. I mean, He is love. Now, unfortunately, that statement has been used in many ways to empower the world, or at least they think that it has. They have tried to use that phrase and twist it around and change it and try to point fingers at God and say, well, if God is love, well, first of all, God is love. There is no if. But if God is love, then then why would He let bad things happen to good people? And if God is love, and God is a God of love, then He would never send a lost soul to hell, and 
And, and they try to, to fit God into their box of what love truly is. The problem is, if they don't know God, they don't know love in the first place. And how can they determine and define love without God? Because God is love. Amen. It's not that God fits into the definition of love. It's that God is the definition of love. Amen. God is love. And anything that exists outside of God is a form or a semblance of love that can be destroyed. But God cannot. The love of God cannot. It is, uh, it is unconditional. Amen? There are no conditions in which God will cease to love. Because God is love. Amen. Now the world, they have such a skewed idea of love, they disagree with most of the things that the Bible says. And the Bible is a book that is written out of love. And sometimes love is tough. They call it tough love. Amen. Sometimes to do, doing something to someone that from their perception or, or telling them something that from their perception can be hurtful often comes from a place of love. Amen. The reason that we discipline our children and they, we don't just give them every single little thing they want is because we love them. Because we care more about their safety and more about who they're going to be when they grow up and more about what they know and what they learn and the type of people that they are than we do about pleasing them. That's because we love them. Now, the world would say that that's not true. That if you love them, you'll let them be who they want to be and do what they want to do and you won't try to inhibit them in any way or, or do that. But what they don't understand is that's not love. They don't understand love. Amen. Because they don't understand God. And God is love. So now, we that are Christians, though, those of us that have been saved, we can emphatically state that God is love. You know why? Because we have experienced the love of God. We have seen the love of God. We have felt the love of God. And despite the corrupt musings of a lost and dying world, those of us who've been washed in His blood, those of us who have been brought out of darkness and into His marvelous light know quite clearly and assuredly that God is love and that He has proven His love toward us. This morning, I, I want to bring you this thought, and we're going to go through a, a number of verses quickly through the Bible, that the Bible has within its pages the greatest love story that's ever been told. Let's pray. Father, God, I ask you this morning if you would, Lord, would you meet with us here within these four walls for just a little while today? God, Lord, I know that there are men, women, and children here from many different walks of life. Lord, there are those, God, who are going through a hard time right now, and those, God, who are, who are, are living, Lord, in a good way right now. Lord, those who are, who are in sin, and those who are walking in the Spirit and in truth. God, I pray this morning, God, Lord, that as we, as we sit here this morning, as I stand to preach, God, that you would take away from our minds and our thoughts all of our circumstances. God, that you take away from our sight all the things, Lord, that are going on in our lives and all the things going on outside this morning and, and the things in our country and, and the things, Lord, at our jobs or whatever it may be, God, Lord, that you'd help us for just a little while to look, Lord, into your word and to see, God, the truth, Lord, of how deeply you have loved us. 
Lord, I pray this morning, help me to preach this message, God, with power. God, help me, Lord, not to be hindered, Lord, by any thought or, or any pride, God. Lord, cleanse me of sin and empty me, Lord, of myself as I preach. God, preach me, Lord, God, as if it's the last day and the last time that I'll ever preach. I ask you, Lord, these things, I need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just real quickly, first of all, I want to talk to you about the love of companionship that is in the Bible. Wednesday night, we talked about prayer, and, and we focused specifically on the prayer of a man by the name of Adam, the first man who ever lived, who was created there in the garden. And uh, in the story of Adam, what we often don't see is the friendship, the companionship that existed between God and the first man that he ever created. So let me just quickly, by way of introduction, show you this. Uh, or, or rather, the first point, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 says it like this. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We often quote that verse, and we understand, those of us who are saved, we understand that that friend that sticketh closer than a brother it's not a mystery who that is. We know who that is. It's our God. Amen. That He is that friend that will be closer to us than any brother, any sister, or any friend on this earth, that He is that friend. Now that statement shows us quite clearly, without, without any controversy, that God desires to be friends with us. He desires to be close with us. In fact, I believe that that is why He created us, was to have a companion. Why else would He make us different from anyone else in all creation, including the angels? He made us special and different, and I'll show you that real quickly. We'll just hurry through this. First, we see in, in the creation of Adam the love of companionship. We see God's provision for him. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 and 16, how that God took Adam after crafting him from the dust of the earth. He put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. How that God created Adam and then gave him everything that he needed. Now, you know who you provide for? The people you love. Amen. I, I love my wife and I love my children and I desire to provide for them a life that is good where they have everything that they need. I don't desire that there ever be a time when it's time for a meal and, and, and I can't provide for them the food that they need. And, and God has helped us and He has provided for us. But as a husband and as a father, I love them. And my desire is to give them everything that they need. That there's never a time that they go, I'm hungry, but, but, but I just can't eat because, because my dad or, or our, my husband or, or whatever, that, that we just don't have what we need. My desire is to provide for them because I love them. Amen. And God, because He loved Adam when He created him, His desire was to provide for him everything that he needed. And that's why He told him. He, put him, he took him. And he put him in a good place, provided him a good place to live. And, and he said, of all these fruits and all these trees and, and all these plants that I've created, I've created them for you that you may freely eat. Amen. We see his provision. Then we see his personalization there in verse 26 that God speaks to him. Or rather, he's speaking to himself, the Trinity. Here. He says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. He gave Adam a purpose. Amen. Gave him a job, something for him, something special for him. And he made him as dominion over all the beasts of the earth and then even went on to let him name all those beasts. And, and it said this, it said, let us make man in our image. That God wanted things to be different between him and mankind. And so he made mankind in his own likeness. That said, do you believe God has eyes? And do you believe God has a nose and ears and arms like us? Well, yes, I do. And the, reason, the number one reason that I do is because God created us to look like him. Amen. That's why we look the way we look, because God took man and made him look the way that he looks in his own image and in his own likeness. And the Bible also tells us the eyes of the Lord are in every place. His arm is not shortened, his ear is not deafened. So we know he's got arms, eyes, and ears, and he's got a mouth that he can speak. And we know that God created us in his image and, and that we were personalized to look like him. Then we see his prosperity, how that the Lord took him and said, it's not good that man should be alone in verse 18. And, and how that he not only gave him... Now, now, God could have just given Adam what he needed. Food, a place to live, something to do, and a companionship with him, and been fine. But that wasn't enough. God didn't just want to give him what he needed, but he wanted to give him what he wanted. Amen. That's why he said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a help me. That God looked at Adam and he saw that... He was lonely, and therefore he took from him the rib and made Eve. He did that because he loved him. Amen. This morning we gave my daughter and my son some, some little gifts and treats and things like that, and, and we did that because we love them, and we want to give them things that they want, that, that make them happy. Amen. We want our children, and we want those that we love to experience joy, to experience happiness. To not just have what they need and get by, but to have what they want and, and to have an abundance and more. And that is how God treated Adam. And then we see not only his, his provision and his personalization, his prosperity, then we see his protection. And often these verses, <clears throat> this verse right here, is looked at in a different way than I believe the Lord intended it. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. The Lord told Adam that he could eat freely, in verse 16, of every tree of the garden. And then verse 17 said this, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Listen to this statement. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. I think sometimes when we think of that verse and we hear that verse stated and preached, we think that God said this, The day you eat that fruit, boy, I'm going to kill you. Is that what he said? No. It's like when you take your child over and you show them. And you say, hey, you want to play in the front yard? That's fine. You want to play right here? That's fine. But don't go near that road. Now, why do you do that? Because if they do, you're going to spank them? Because if they do, you're going to hurt them? Because if they do, you're going to kill them? No. Because it's dangerous. And if they go over there, something bad is going to happen. Stay out of the road. Don't touch that light socket. Don't touch that, that, uh, that power outlet. Don't touch those things. And 
Don't eat, the, just like we would tell a child, if you see a berry or a mushroom in the forest, don't pick it up and eat it. Because you don't know it might be poisonous. And you might take them over and show them a plant that's wrapped around a tree going up and say, don't touch that. If you do, it's poison oak. And it's, gonna, it's a warning. This is the protection of God. God did not take Adam and say, now listen here. If you eat that fruit, I'm going to hurt you. If you eat that fruit, I'm going to kill you. He said, if you eat it, you'll die. It was a warning. It was God trying to protect him. God gave Adam everything good, but he gave him no evil. You know what that fruit was? <clears throat> the tree, the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. The only thing that Adam had to gain from eating that fruit was evil. And so God told him, don't touch it. It'll hurt you. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says it like this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin brings death. That's just the way it is. A life of sin is a life that will take you to your death. Because sin is a captive. It is a corruption. It is a rottening of the mind and the heart and the body. Amen. How many have we seen whose bodies have been rotted away by the sin of degradation and alcoholism and drugs and, 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 and promiscuity and, and all these things? How that our, our own bodies are deteriorated by these things. It's not because God is, is punishing us. or It's because sin is death. And the moment that Adam partook of that fruit and Eve partook of that fruit, they took into their body death. And we see their parting. In chapter 3, in verses 22 through 24, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Say, so why would God want to shut Adam out of the tree of life? Because he didn't want him to live in sin forever. Amen. He said, what if he goes and eats that fruit and lives forever with sin? No. The moment that Adam partook of that fruit, and he partook of that fruit, and then entered into them sin... God's plan was set in motion. And His plan was set in motion of this. I will restore man unto me. When God and Adam walked in the garden and God and Adam spoke in the garden, they were at perfect peace. But now that peace had ended. And every man, woman, and child that's born on earth is born with inside of them sin. My little girl right there at three years old, she's a, she just sins. She does. Says things she shouldn't say. Does things she shouldn't do. She lies. She'll steal. Take something that's not hers. And, and of course she'll cry when you tell her about it. Pretty sure that's also sin. I don't know. She just sins, man. You know why? Adam. Eve. 
And thus in all of us is that same sin. Because of that sin, we can't go to God. From the time Adam took that, he was expelled from the garden. And whenever God would speak to them, and you look at the children of Adam and Eve, and I don't want to linger here, I need to hurry on, but the fact is this, that that God would only allow them to even approach Him with the shedding of blood. We see not only first do we see the love of companionship, but secondly, we see the love of a covenant. A covenant in the Bible and in these days, the olden days, and even today, a covenant was something that was created to reconcile two warring tribes or peoples. Modern marriages are a symbol of covenants. In fact, uh, warring tribes would often arrange marriages between prominent figures in their tribes to bring them together. That's right. Yeah, I heard some laughter when I said warring tribes. So I'm thinking, yeah, that's, that's right right there, I'll tell you. But the fact is this, a covenant was established to bring two people together who were separate and make them one. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis there in chapter 2, and the Lord said, Therefore will a man leave his father and his mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that was the first covenant ever established in the Bible, and it was between a man and his wife. Amen. Marriage established there all the way back in the creation in the Garden of Eden that God set up as the first type of covenant. But here in Genesis chapter 15, and turn over there with me, we'll go through this chapter. I want to show you something here. We have God who is establishing a covenant with man. And He has called out a man by the name of Abram, who we know will, who will come to be known as Abraham. And He has chosen this man out, and He is going to make a covenant with Abraham. Verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, fear not, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. <clears throat> he was speaking of the fact that he and his wife had been unable to have any children. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven. Tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord. And he counted, it unto, he counted it to him for righteousness. God calls forth this man, Abram, and he tells him, I am going to give you a son. Not only am I going to give you a son, but your children and your seed will go forth, and they will be as the stars of heaven. They will be, in another place he said, they'll be as the sands of the sea, innumerable, that they could not be counted. And that God has chosen this one man out, and that out of this one man, He would go on to create an entire nation of people. And we know that that is the children of Israel. But here we see the love of the covenant. First, I want to show you something. I want to show you the process of the covenant. Now, I told you before, a covenant is something that was established by God to bring together two people that were separate back into communion. When they would go through the process of, of setting up a covenant, there was a sort of a method to it and a process they had to go through. And you can see it in this chapter. I'll show it to you. 
we'll read down through it. The first we see that there is uh, what they call the splitting of the pieces. Look here in verse 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds he divided not. Now when it said he divided them in the midst, what that means is he cut them in half. Literally, they would take these pieces, these beasts, and they would kill them, slaughter them, and then cut them into pieces. Now, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? You know why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. The only way that man can approach God is if man makes atonement for the sins that he has committed with the shedding of blood. That There has to be a price paid for sin. That's why God took those animals and killed them in the garden and made coats of skin for Adam and Eve because if they did not shed blood, then there was no way for a sinful creature to approach God. And so God tells Abraham, go get the heifer, get the bull, get the goats, get the turtle dove, the pigeon, bring it together, and you are going to prepare them for me. And what he did is he divided them, except for the birds, he cut them in half, and it said this, he laid them in the midst, each piece, one, against another, like this, side by side. This is a part of the process where they would take these beasts, this sacrifice, and they would split it and sit it in a certain pathway. And the reason they did it is because there's a certain way that this has to be done. And he took unto him all these in verse 10, divided them. Verse 11, when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. You know what that tells me? Some time has passed. The moment something dies, the birds don't just start coming down. It's when you take, y'all, y'all, have, seen, y'all have seen a deer on the side of the road or, or some, some animal that's been killed and left for long, and you know what's going to happen. Here come them buzzards. Here come the, you'll look up, you'll see them circling as that, that, this kind of graphic, but that smell and, and all that starts to happen. Well, here's Abram. He's gathered the stuff. He's laid it out. He waits. Some time passes. Here come the birds. He's got to run them off. Verse 12, when the sun was going down, I don't know how long it took, long enough for the sun to come down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. I believe, and this, you don't have to believe this, I believe as Abram stood there looking at those pieces and he began to consider God that he became afraid. Now the darkness comes upon him. But it's also horror. A covenant, when they would make a covenant, you all still with me this morning? And they would separate these pieces. They They would then do something that they called walking the circle eight. Y'all know what the number eight represents, the, the infinity symbol. It, it represents eternity. It represents endlessness, and it's wrapping around. And they would walk the circle eight around these pieces, and in doing so, this was the message of the covenant. If I break this covenant, let what happens to these pieces 
happen to me. If I break my covenant, then the death that has happened to this sacrifice, let it happen to me. It's not something that was done willy-nilly. It wasn't done with a... No, it was serious. Just as marriage should be serious. That the person that you're, you're saying, I will never break this covenant that I make between God and before man. And as Abram stood there and he knew how a covenant worked and, and how that they would come together and, and when there was a covenant, there would be an exchanging of names and it would be this statement that, that two people who were once two would become one and that said, let your name be my name and your people be my people and two tribes would come together as one. It's like God said in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write into their hearts. I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. That from this day forward, they would no longer be separate, but they would be one. That they would bear the name of God, and God would bear their name, and they would be one, and to them a God, and to Him a people, and they would never be separate again. And I believe as Abraham stood there, and he prepared to walk among the pieces, a great horror fell upon him. Because Abram was going to break the covenant. His children, how many times did the children of Israel break the covenant? God sends fire and blood and, and plagues and death and darkness into Egypt, rescues them, takes them over the Red Sea, and within days, they're, they're creating golden calves and worshiping false gods. Broke the covenant. They're taking false gods, and guess what? That wasn't the first time, and that wasn't the only time. Over and over you know how many times in the Bible somebody had to go through and cleanse out all the false gods? I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? They committed adultery against their God, the Bible teaches us. That they went after other gods and, and cheated on God. Broke the covenant. Because between God and Israel, it was a covenant of marriage. Amen. Read your Bible. That's, how, that's what it is. That's the way God saw it, that they were His, his wife, if you will, spiritually. And that they cheated on Him with false gods. And here's Abraham... And I don't know if God gave him a, a, a better vision or if he just thought into his heart and he thought, oh my, I'm about to make this covenant with God. and He'll surely destroy me. Great horror or darkness falls upon him. Some time has passed. Abraham's had time to think about it. But then we see in verse 17, it says, it came to pass that when the sun went down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. We see the process of the covenant. Then I want you to see the people of the covenant. In a covenant, there are two parties. They pass the circle eight. They exchange names, and they make this covenant that I'm with you, 
you're with me. If I break this, let this that's happened to these pieces happen to me. If you break this, let this that's happened to these pieces happen to you. Can you all see that? Abram comes out of a horror. Darkness has fallen. And he looks up, and what does he see? Two figures passing amongst the pieces. One looks like a smoking furnace. The other, a burning lamp. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 18 says this, Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. Well, that's God the Father. What about the lamp? Psalm 119.105 Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. We know who the word is, don't we? John Chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Abram wakes up in a horror, in dark. He's prepared the sacrifice in his mind. He knows he's about to enter into a covenant with God. and He thought he'd just ask God for a son, and God would just give it to him. But here's God. He said, no, 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 we're going to have a covenant. Go get the sacrifice. Go get the heifer and the goats and and go get the the turtle dove and the pigeon and get it all ready. And and there it is. And Abram's driving off the birds and he can smell the blood and the death. And he's looking at it and he's thinking, God, how am I ever going to live up to this? How will I ever hold this covenant? And a great horror comes on him. And then the darkness comes down. And I believe in Abram's heart he's despairing. What would you have done? And then he looks up and he sees a furnace and a lamp walking. And as they do, they say, if I break this covenant, what happens to this, let it happen to me. Hebrews chapter 16 and verse 13, we have the promise of the covenant. For when God made promise to Abraham. He said, Brother Paul, this all seems like a stretch. When God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. God said, Abram, I'm going to make a covenant with you. But God said, I've already been down this road once. I know what happens. Adam fell. And I gave him everything he needed. And he still fell. I gave him a wife. I gave him a purpose. I gave him prosperity. I gave him all the provisions and and everything he needed. And he still fell. Abram, I know what you're going to do. And you can't swear because you're not strong enough. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to swear by myself. And that great furnace, that God the Father who can bear no sin, who created earth and the heavens and who spoke to Abram with a voice out of heaven saying, I've called you out. He walked among the pieces as a fiery furnace. And on the other side was a lamp. 
as God the Son said, what happens to this? Let it happen to me if he breaks it. He stood in my place. Not just on the cross, but all the way back in Genesis. God said, I've been separated from my companion who I love, and I want to draw him near me, but he can't do it. So he sent his son down. To walk among those pieces is the lamp and say, he breaks this, Father, I'll pay this price. Centuries go by and man breaks it over and over and over. God puts it off a little longer, gives a little more grace, We see the love of companionship and we see the love of the covenant. Then, God's love is finally and emphatically proven in the love of the cross. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof. Because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Who? The earth, the inhabitants thereof. All of us. We broke it. The Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the, you know, you should not take the Lord's name in vain, and thou shalt not covet all of them. We broke the covenant. We tried to change it. We, try, we always try to change it. We transgress the laws. We break the, the covenant. Isaiah wrote those words in Isaiah 24, 5, and then in Isaiah chapter 53. He says this, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Let what happened to this sacrifice happen to me if they break this covenant. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty we should desire Him. He is despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity 
of us all. He was oppressed. and He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so He openeth not His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare His generation? For He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was He stricken. He made His grave with the wicked and with the rich in His death because He had done no violence, neither was any deceit in His mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath put Him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. We see the price of our covenant. That word intercession... He shall intercede. He made intercession for the transgressors. That word intercession is the act of intervening on one's behalf. You broke the covenant. Not Abraham. Yeah, he did. But that's not why Jesus had to die, because of Abraham. He didn't have to die because of Jacob. He didn't have to die because of the children of Israel, because of Reuben and Judah and all those who failed and messed up. No, He had to die because you broke the covenant. God created man, and He created us because He loves us, and He wants to be close to us, and, and we sin. We curse, and we lie, and we steal, and we are full of pride, and we mock God, and we laugh at the Word of God, and we live our lives, and we try to change the law, and we try to intercess and transgress and, and we make mistake after mistake and because of it, the covenant is broken. You did. It was your sin. Not these men and women we read about the Bible. Your sin. My sin. My children's sin. Amen. Your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your brothers and sisters and each one of us, it was our sin. Say, well... I'm not a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It's your sin. He paid the price for your sin. Every lie you've ever told. Everything you've ever taken that you shouldn't. Every time you hated someone in your heart and and skipped out on God and and, and disobeyed the Word of God and, and showed hatred and variance and lasciviousness and lust and wickedness. Your sin, every one of them was a stripe on his back. Every one of them was a nail in his hands. A nail in his feet, a a strike of the hand on the face 
of the Savior. Who all the way back at Abraham walked between those pieces and said, when they break this covenant, God, I will pay this price. That's the price. We see the price of the covenant, and then we see the proof of love. Here's what the Bible tells us. You say, well, the Paul, Jesus doesn't love me. Jesus don't care about me. God doesn't care about you. Isn't that what they say? He don't care about you. Let me submit to you, he cared so much about you that he was willing to pay the price of all your punishment just so he could be close to you. Romans chapter 8, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God commendeth, that means he proved, that means he, he backs it up, his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what he didn't do? He didn't call us into a meeting and say, now listen, I, I'm willing to pay this price for you. I'm willing to, to take care of your sin, and, and I'm willing to, uh, to erase your debt, and and to do this for you, but first, I, I'm going to need to see that you really mean it. Now, I'm going to need you to prove it to me. I'm going to need to know that my investment is not wasted on you. Now, isn't that how we do things? Well, you know what? I'm not going to help them anymore. What's it ever done for me when I help them? They always turn around. It bites me. You, can, you know, don't, don't, they say don't bite the hand that feeds you. That's all they do. Well, thank God Jesus don't treat us that way. He didn't pull us together and say, now, can you show me how serious you are about this? Now, are you going to serve me the rest of your life, or are you going to mess up? Are you going to quit on me in a few years, or, or are you going to stick around? Are you going to come to church faithfully? Are you going to read your Bible faithfully? Are you going to pray? Are you going to serve God? What are you going to do? Am, am I wasting? No, that's not what he did. Instead, he said, you know what? I'm going to prove my love to you. While we were yet sinners, while they were mocking him, and casting lots for his clothes, and denying who he even was, he said, Father, forgive them. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies. What I'll tell you, a covenant is to bring two warring or separated enemy tribes together into union, into unity and communion from that day forward. What We were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. He proved His love for us by dying for us. But He has provided life for us by resurrecting. If He had just died, well, then I guess we could have died with Christ. But He didn't. He rose Again. First John 4, 7. We read at the beginning where it said, Let us love one another for God, for the love, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God 
is love. Listen to verse 9. In this was manifested. That means it took form. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John chapter 10 and verse 10, the Lord Jesus said these words, The thief cometh not but to steal, for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. No love has ever been so strong and so mighty and so powerful and so brave and so persistent and immeasurable and unmovable as the love of God. As the love of the Lord Jesus Christ that He would come down and face all the rejection. You ever been rejected? It hurts. All the rejection. Can you imagine being the God, the Son of the very living God, God of all creation, and someone look at you and hate you because of good things you're doing? How would that make you feel? He faced all that rejection. All that hatred. It said there's no form of, there's no comeliness that we should desire Him. He wasn't wanted. They they didn't love Him. They hated Him. They chanted, let His blood be on us and our children. They were maddened wolves hungry for His blood and there was nothing that would satisfy them except to see Him dead. That Pilate beat Him to the point that the Bible tells us that His visage was so marred that He did not even appear like a man and He brought Him before them and they said, no, crucify Him. Madness. Hatred. Why? Because of the sin you've done. The sin that you've done. Not me, not your neighbor, you. But he did it. He went to the cross. He said this, I've come that they might have life. Who? Whosoever. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why? Why? Why would He do that? Sometimes we do a little something and we think, you know what, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to wash the dishes. And I hate washing the dishes, but I'm going to wash the dishes because I love my wife or I love my husband and I want to do something and and I know they don't want to fool with it, and they're not feeling I'm going to do something nice for them today. I'm going to, I'm going to cook them breakfast this morning, or I'm going to cook them dinner, or I'm going to go buy them something nice. And we put ourselves out, and we do a little something, and when we're done, we think, yeah, look at me. Jesus bore on His shoulders the suffering of every sin you've ever committed just because He loves you. And listen, let, me, let me tell you this. 
I'm almost done this morning. One time I had somebody call me up, and I'll let you know, I am, I am in no way, I'm not even close to Calvinist. Somebody called me one time and said, this preacher was talking to me, he's trying to convince me that Calvinist, Calvinism is true, that God has chosen ahead of time whether you go to heaven or hell and you have no decision, you can't be saved. I said, well, the whosoever part kind of disagrees with that, but you want to take that out. What got him all confused is a preacher said to him, God, Jesus would have never died on the cross hoping somebody would be saved. That he, he died on the cross, and he said the only reason he did it is because he knew and he had chosen the people that were going to be saved. He would never have done it on the chance that someone would get saved. But can I tell you something? Sure he would have. You know how I know? Few there be that find it. That tells me that the majority of souls on this earth will reject God and go to a devil's hell because of our pride, because of our foolishness. But Jesus went to the cross anyway, and here's this message. Whosoever will may come. I have paid the price for your sin, I have died on the cross and bore on my shoulders the sins of many. I bore your transgressions and your failures. If you will just come to me, I will save you. But all the price that he paid and all the pain that he suffered, if you don't come and bow and ask, then it does you no good. It is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. It's a free gift. It's a perfect gift. And He got up on the third day and rose and ascended to heaven. He put His blood on the mercy seat to pay for all sins everywhere for all time. All you have to do is bow With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That whosoever call, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That He is faithful and just. That if we, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. Knowing that Jesus died on the cross and saying, Amen, I believe He rose on the third day. That's not enough. You've got to, amen. The devils also know the scriptures. They also know them and tremble, but guess what? It's not going to do them any good. Knowing won't get you to heaven. Bowing, asking, forgiving, believing, trusting in Him, accepting His gift as your price and payment. That'll do it. Do you know Him this morning? Because let me tell you something. There is a price for sin. The wages of sin is death. Not just one, but two. It's been said, live once, die twice, or live twice and die once. So what's that mean? You live once, born in the flesh, never get saved, you'll die. That's one. 
but then you'll enter the second death. The second death is hell. The second death is the lake of fire. The second death is eternal torment. Say, why? Because sin is death. If you die with your sin, you will go to a devil's hell. Say, that's awful. It is, isn't it? That's why God, in His great love, made a pathway to heaven that is so easy, all it takes is you walking up and accepting. That you would kneel at an altar, say, God, I am lost, would you save me? Trusting and believing that He's the Son of God, that He came, that He died, that He was buried, that He's resurrected, and that He ever liveth to make intercession for you. A free ticket to heaven. Because someone else already paid that price for you. His death, that was all so you didn't have to. Will you reject Him? Will you esteem Him stricken? Will you accept Him? Will you come to God? Let's all stand this morning. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.